This is Future of Work Pioneers with your host, Dr. Harpreet Singh at Harvard University. In this show, we speak with pioneers and thought leaders about workforce transformation, AI, and leadership in this exciting space. Hello, everyone. I'm Harpreet Singh, welcoming you to the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. Today, we are speaking with Tracy Keogh, the CHRO of HP. Tracy has worldwide responsibility for HP's human resources activities. Prior to joining HP in 2011, Tracy was the Senior Vice President of HR at Hewitt Associates, the world's largest provider of HR consulting services. Tracy holds an MBA from Harvard Business School. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So I want to begin by asking you about your background and any defining moments that attracted you to the field of human resources. So uh, I always call it my checkered past because I have a pretty unusual background for ending up being a head of HR. But uh, I didn't start out in HR. I actually was a psychology major as an undergraduate. And then I actually worked uh, in finance for a little bit of time and then ultimately uh, landed in healthcare because I actually wanted to do research because I thought I'd go back to school to get uh, uh, a PhD in psychology. But once I started working uh, as a hospital administrator, I really realized I liked the business aspects and uh, decided that I would ultimately pursue an MBA and uh, was lucky to uh, get into Harvard and came out of Harvard and did management consulting. And I always considered that sort of my residency after business school to really put into practice um, what I had learned. And luckily, while I was a management consultant, I sort of fell into HR because I had an opportunity to uh, work on an internal project, which was redesigning our recruiting process at the firm that I was at. And I really enjoyed HR. And then I got recruited to a startup in Boston called Sapient, a wonderful company, uh, IT consulting that was on the rise and actually went over there, not in HR, but as director of operations for their strategy practice. And so after a few months of doing that, their head of HR actually had just quit and the CEO came to me and said, would you like to run HR? I said, no, it's too broken. You have to do this, 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 and this. And he's like, you got the job. So I ended up um, at Sapient running HR, which we called people strategy for a time frame, and then ultimately um, moved on and ran sales and marketing and uh, also continued to run operations. So I was still a business person working in lots of different areas. But after you know being in HR for a few years, I realized it's the most important lever in the organization. And not a lot of business people you know, necessarily pivot to that. And I really enjoyed it and I had built up a fund of knowledge. So I decided I wanted to pursue HR for my career. I always felt very thankful. I had a lot of other experiences before I did that. And then um, I was recruited to another firm, Analog Devices and Technology. I've worked in lots of different sectors um, as head of HR and ultimately landed at HP, which at that point was Hewlett Packard Company. And that was nine years ago. And it's been an incredible opportunity since. Well, this is, this is great. And, and you know, um, HR requires uh, a multidisciplinary background, and I think you, you, you've got that. And, um, and I, I guess also leadership, right? So as you look at the current crisis, what, what is the role of leadership uh, from, from the uh, lens of HR? 
Sonship is so important um, in any environment, but particularly you're seeing skills now that are required during this crisis. And, um, you know, I have to say the things that I'm observing in terms of uh, what's really important, first of all, resiliency, right? We're all in an incredibly uncertain time and being able to uh, operate effectively and pivot quickly is very important. I see that decision-making is really important. The people who um, dither and can't figure out what to do in light of the current uncertainty are actually not that helpful uh, as you're trying to move quickly because things are changing by the day, as you know, you know, be it the health situation for our employees or, um, you know, having to make very hard decisions without full data. You just have to go ahead and be able to synthesize the information in the environment and make the those decisions quickly. And then the other thing I have to say is agility. Um, you know, being able to think about things quickly in a different way. That didn't work, so how do we pivot, um, you know, uh, in, and make a change rapidly that's going to be super helpful uh, in terms of the organization. So right now, those are the things I'm looking at from my leaders and seeing who has the ability to operate in this kind of uncertainty. Because I think all of us know that's going to be the environment for a while, right? You know, we look at the current situation and it, it, things will be as they were. I think everybody's given up that perspective. Um, it, it's going to be dealing with uncertainty for a time frame, And while this particular um, situation and crisis, uh, you know, everyone's very focused on whether we get the vaccine or not, then maybe that will resolve this, but there'll be another one. This is not, you know, you're seeing these kinds of challenges, be it, um, uh, you know, climate change that's actually impacting business in the world or um, these kind of viruses, other things that are coming out. We've dealt with SARS and Ebola and, you know, that are then creating financial crises. There's going to be the next wave of whatever these challenges are and those leadership capabilities are going to be the ones that help people manage through those situations. Yeah, no, very, very uh, true. And uh, in, in another context, uh, technology um, is also impacting how we do business, uh, you know, how we manage this change. Uh, so what, how do you see, uh, you know, new technology is changing, how HR is being done today? Yeah, so first of all, I think we all know, and, and most of us who run HR organizations are looking at how are we not only revamping HR from a technology standpoint, using AI and all the different capabilities that are out there, but our whole company, we're responsible for reskilling all our employees, you know, usually driving the digital transformation that most companies are undergoing. I was actually holding a conference earlier this year when we could travel with a bunch of heads of HR on reskilling and digitization. And I was impressed when I asked the question, how many people think this is imperative? Everyone's hand went up. So it's not like any industry isn't being affected by this. I think what we've seen with the current crisis is the acceleration of all the, that technology can bring. You know, we went from 5,000 Zoom calls a day to 35,000 a day at our company within, you know, overnight. And so, you know, you look at, that's just a little example, um, you know, the, the focus now on everyone moving to the cloud and, you know, the companies that are going to be able to navigate 
um, you know, these changes are going to be using technology in every possible way. So those are the companies that are winning through this um, situation. And I know for us, we look, you know, it's really having an impact on our products and services. Suddenly printers are much more important. People need a printer at home. And, you know, it's been great to see that, but, uh, and, and PCs and, you know, there's still uh, a lot of, um, infrastructure that you need to manage effectively through this, as well as being able to use the various technologies that are coming. But, but for us, in terms of looking at the HR function, we are literally redesigning our people strategies based on a much more mobile work environment and looking at how technologies will facilitate career development. What does that look like in the new world? Um, you know, communications is changing. You know, all different aspects of HR will be touched by this and we need to think about maybe we'll do hiring anywhere in the world. It doesn't have to be near an office. So that's an incredible opportunity for talent. All those different elements. So rethinking those is what I think a lot of companies are doing right now. So, so you touched on uh, something very important here: that the um, ability to hire anywhere, which which means uh, remote is okay, right? So yes. mm -hmm. that's a new paradigm for many of us. And and uh, and it, it's so how ubiquitous is that going to become? And how do you manage that change from perspective of culture, technology, yeah. employee experience? Right, because it's, it's it's a new skill that many managers would have to uh, gain. Uh, you know, how do you? Because managing someone face to face is different than managing someone remotely. Yes, I, I totally agree with that. And actually, we've recently rolled out a new manager training we're calling Manager Mobility, and it's about how to do that. I, I think the on the positive side, um, first of all, we know from surveys and and you know external data that um, most people want flexibility at work. They you know there's a a, a melding if it wasn't extreme before now it is of, of work and home life. And so being able to manage through that is going to be critical to attract and retain the best talent. Um, but I think you have to help your managers figure out how to do that uh, effectively. So how do you actually have individual conversations with people so you understand what their situation is at home, you know, in this current, environment, one of the biggest needs we've had, and we've uh, been supporting employees is with homeschooling. And so, you know, sometimes people can't get on a call at, you know, 7am or 8am. So we've asked managers to make new contracts with employees. How do they want to work? What works with their day? What's going to be um, the, the most opportune arrangement for an employee so that they can be the most productive? So I think you have to teach managers how to those conversations. Also, the level of authenticity now is unparalleled. And I think smart managers uh, really take advantage of that, feeling connected to their employees. You know, everybody's seen everybody's house. They've heard their kids screaming, dogs barking. We had one manager who uh, did a call where everybody had their kid on their lap. You know, everybody's going through this together. And it's actually, um, for us, really, um, I think, inspired and ignited our employee population and all those interactions shape your culture every day and so we every decision we're making as we look at you know whether we send people home or who comes back in the office and all those things we look at that through a lens of culture what does this mean for our environment how do we support people through those things and so i think you can reinforce your culture even in a mobile environment in a way that everybody knows it feels like h 
HP, and we have what we call the HP way. And so making sure we're doing that, one of the first things we did as an HR organization is we created a calendar uh, for people to understand. We have motivational Mondays, training Tuesdays, wellness Wednesdays, thoughtful Thursdays, where we actually do volunteerism as a company on, on Thursdays, and then family and friends Friday. And so while we're, you know, offering homeschooling or online cooking classes, or last week we had a global dance party uh, that went around the world for 12 hours, we hired a DJ, those things, those are all reinforcing our culture and what we think is important. So we found it actually enhances our culture when you think about it in the right way. And, and I don't think anybody's confused about what we're thinking about or what we're doing because we're able to to communicate so directly to our people. So, so you mentioned uh, the HP way and I've, I've heard that many times. So yeah. how, what, what is that and how has that evolved over the years? So um, I have to say uh, I'm the beneficiary of the fantastic work that our founders um, Bill and Dave actually articulated after many years that they were in business, they wrote a book called The HP Way, and it really talked about who we were as a company. And I think it starts with putting employees first. And then they invented things like management by walking around. You know, they would go and talk to people. And I still hear stories that are people who knew them that, you know, of them coming and sitting down next to them and understanding the work they did. Um, they also created the open door policy, meaning anyone in HP could come and bring an issue to them. You know, we're 80 years old as a technology company now, which is an amazing thing to keep reinventing. We're still number one or two in all of our markets. And um, I think we're a little bit of the best kept secret. We're the birthplace of Silicon Valley, but people really who find us love to come and work there and stay there. And it's because that HP way is still alive and well. Now, open door policy looks very different now that, it, you know, in, in those days, you might have sent in a memo or a suggestion card, but, you know, now it's sending an email to the CEO or having a Zoom call or, you know, raising whatever issue it is in an open forum, but it's still on alive and well. And so that's what we continuously do, um, not just from an HR perspective, but our leadership really owns the culture, is making sure that that HP way is evident in, in all that we do. And so that's why the company, you know, has been able to continuously reinvent itself and stay relevant over the years as a technology company. That's uh, very impressive. This episode is brought to you by Experfy. Incubated in Harvard Innovation Lab, Experfy provides custom future of work solutions, such as private talent clouds and skill taxonomies. Experfy differentiates itself by using subject matter experts to pre-vet and pipeline candidates for AI and high-end technology skills. However, Experfy Talent Cloud Platform is skill agnostic and can be licensed to build custom talent clouds for any and all skills. In a different use case, enterprises interested in employee intermobility can license the Expropy platform to create an internal gigs marketplace where interested employees can be algorithmically matched to projects, gamifying their learning experience. Visit www.expropy.com for more information. So, so um, in this context of uh thinking about the workforce of the future, uh, freelancing is on the rise in the US, 35% uh, of Americans are freelancing today. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so how do you think about contingent workforce, fractional workforce, con you know, freelancing, 
Uh, how, is, is that part of your strategy? Well, I think you have to have multiple relationships with employees. I, I think it's sort of, it's just the world in general now. Everybody wants what they want in the way that they want it, right? In terms of if it's communication, if it's your employment relationship. Um, and so we do work with people in lots of different ways to be able to make sure that, um, you know, we're both having terms of that particular area. And so um, I, I think you'll see more of that as, you know, you may come together on a particular project and work on something. Um, or there are also people and roles that actually are better when they're full-time roles that you want people um, to, uh, to, you know, really be dedicated to the organization. We look at different relationships where we, we hire someone to HP and then we look about maybe seconding them to another uh, customer and then having them come back. You know, particularly younger generations want incredibly different experiences. They don't like to stay anywhere. You know, I actually say we have semi-permeable membranes now, right? People come in and out. And I actually try and maintain relationships with people, whether they're part of HP or not. You're sort of part of the family. And we see a lot of what we call boomerangs where people come back after they've gone somewhere else and they've maybe gained some experience. So, and we're open to that. It's funny, there's still some companies you know, you're either part of us or, you know, you're dead to me when you leave. I think that's a very old way of looking at um, employees. And so um, I think we're going to see that ebb and flow and different relationships even heightened as we move on and, and, you know, more technologies are able to facilitate, you know, different relationships with organizations. So, so what, what kind of challenges do we need to overcome to make freelancing uh, possible, right, in a large organization like an HP? Well, I think there's always the, um, you know, issue around, as I talked about, you want to make sure that people aren't using it to the detriment of employees. Um, and so we really try and balance that um, and make sure that we're looking at what roles should be, you know, um, full-time, dedicated roles and and what shouldn't be. But you know, I, I think that it always comes back to how do we create the optimal relationship. I'm thinking about, we had this, a woman who did communications with us. Um, she was focused on our diversity and inclusion work and she was wonderful. And she went and, and had her first child. She's one of those people you think, oh, they'll definitely come back. They're like hundred percent work people. And she was like, I don't want to come back. But you know, she spent a couple of years at home and I just found she's returned to us on a contractor basis, which works. She's had another child and that really works for her. She's so happy to be back and to have the flexibility she wants. That to me is kind of the optimal relationship where that works, but you don't, you know, you want to do that um, in a positive way. So people are getting as much benefits and it's particularly important for women and, you know, other uh, underrepresented groups that you're making sure that they're supported in the right way. So they don't have to, um, you know, maybe take a step off if they don't want to. And so we try and support all different groups. So they're having the optimal relationship with us from an employer perspective. But sometimes it's good to leave. You know, we've had people where we encourage go work somewhere else and then come back because they need different experiences. And so, you know, I think that's the, the thing you have to look at uh, in terms of making sure that uh, you're kind of refreshing your organization and giving people the best kind of career development uh, that's possible. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. I, th- I think the, this is an evolving space and uh, we'll, we'll yeah. see a lot more change, uh, you know, and I think it's also generational, right? That the, yeah. uh, the younger uh, generations, uh, whether it's millennials, uh, they're, they're less likely to be in a full-time permanent role. Um, and, 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 and it's, it's, you know, something to be, uh, to, to keep an eye on, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I hope it's always by choice. That's the thing. You don't want it to be for lack of other opportunities. That's, that's the thing I worry about. Mm-hmm. And I often say, you know, what millennials want or Gen Z, everybody wants, they just ask for it. You know, who doesn't want a lot of recognition? Who doesn't want flexibility? Those are great things. And so um, we try and provide those for all, all of our generations. We have five generations at work at any given time. And so we have to meet the needs of all of our employees wherever they are. And that's kind of our, our going in assumption and looking at that. Yes. So, so um, another uh, question is around um, the, the, the skills gap that is being introduced by emerging technologies such as AI and uh, many of the jobs are going to be displaced by new ones. So how do you think about that, prepare for the future, uh, you know, maybe, and, and what role does technology play in, in that, in that upskilling? Yeah. So obviously that's the critical question for most organizations right now. Let's say for those heads of HR, are really focusing on how are they reskilling their people. We're rolling out a whole digital curriculum right now for our people, and everyone will be trained from, you know, the frontline workers all the way up to the CEO to make sure that we have a shared understanding of that. But I think um, the thing we're also looking at is the sort of larger global responsibility. I'm working actually with the World Economic Forum right now. We have a a council that's focused on the future of work in terms of reskilling and digitization, the impact that the, you know, fourth industrial revolution is going to have on people. And so rather than each of the companies we have in this forum trying to solve the problem themselves, we're trying to bring our forces together and create a platform to reskill people around the world. Um, And I think those are the kinds of solutions that are going to make the difference because we have a much greater impact when we bring all our resources together instead of each company trying to marshal their meager resources compared to the the issue. Um, And so what does that retraining, recertification, reskilling look like for the whole world? And so that's a a large ask, but that's actually what we're trying to focus on right now. Um, You know, we're a leader in 3D technology, which is going to disrupt everything. It's been so exciting to be um, part of, of that whole development of the business. I get to sit in business meetings and think, oh my gosh, I'm at the birth of an industry as I see the impact it has. You know, for example, during this crisis, um, we were able to quickly pivot all the work we were doing and start 3D printing masks and swabs and other critical um, things that we could um, PPE uh, give to hospitals and the communities and and where we uh, work. And so that's been very rewarding. But you can see um, people are already, for example, looking at their supply chain and how do they build resiliency and 3D will be a big part of that into the future. So I think the more training and development we can do of our own employees, but then coming together and, and train employees around the world is going to be critical for the success of our country and countries globally. So, so from a tactical perspective, what, what does that 
upskilling look like uh, on, on a day-to-day basis for an employee? So it's um, so we have a whole digital curriculum. So it's courses online that you can take, you know, on your phone, mobile, um, and learning how you know kind of where you are on the digital spectrum. We all took it as a diagnostic, and as smart as some of us think we are, there's still a lot to learn. It was fun to see the results of that, mm-hmm. and then we target courses for people to learn about, you know, if it's AI or you know whatever different types of areas. Um, you know, at the same time that we're reworking all the inner workings of our organization, you know, looking at robotics and, you know, all the different elements. And so um, I think, you know, we will continue to develop more courses for people. We partner with external vendors who've already developed many of those things, data analytics, all the, the areas that we know are so important to be able to really think differently about your business and to really provide the the best solutions for customers and our partners. And so that's what we're working on right now. That's great. HP has managed to be diverse, not only, you know, uh, at the top, but also bottom. Uh, so so how, how, how does a uh, HR function achieve this kind of a paradigm? I think it's very hard. I think, first of all, we're lucky. We have an incredible history of that being uh, part of the fabric of our organization. We really feel like diversity in every aspect uh, drives innovation. And so, you know, Bill and Dave, I talked about our founders all the way up to our current CEO, Enrique Lores, um, were proponents of diversity. I found materials from the 1970s from Bill and Dave doing affirmative action training is what they called it. And it was unconscious bias training actually of managers. So I think we may have been the first company to start employee resource groups. We had in the Valley, the first same sex benefits. So, you know, we have this unbelievable history and momentum, but it's still extremely hard to be able to do that. And so um, when we split the company and created the two new companies, I had the opportunity to create two new boards. And so I helped to create the most diverse board of directors in technology at that time. And so, and we've continued to do that. So I do think it starts at the top. Um, we just, I love sometimes I'm on a conference call and I'm the only one with an American accent. You know, we embrace diversity on every level. And it, I, I think we're truly a global company and, and, so I think the challenging thing and, and one thing that we're looking at, for example, the current crisis is this is a time to really embrace inclusion and belonging because you're having to understand, you know, we always say we want people to bring their full selves to work. Well, not only have your full self at work, but at home too. So, you know, you're managing a team perhaps where you have, you know, someone who has a young child, they may be a single parent someone of a different ethnic group that may be um, over-indexed as we're seeing in some of the impacts that COVID is having on that community. And they may have a fear level or, you know, constraints that are different than someone else. So we're actually really helping managers think through all the elements of, you know, diversity, inclusion, and belonging in light of the current crisis. So I think we're, we're always looking at how do we really focus on making things better and, and bringing the most out of every employee we have. And so I think people feel that and it's a place that they feel comfortable to do that. And um, ultimately I think it drives our success and, you know, there's no question about that for us. And so um, I think that gives us a good platform, but, you know, I, I think 
really making sure that we're all supporting that kind of inclusivity is, is really going to be uh, a key to success in the future. The, the global aspect of HP that, you know, you, you've got offices in Wuhan, you have offices in Palo Alto. Yeah. So, so um, how do you see this uh, crisis evolving and how do you manage it across the globe? Yeah, so it's really important. This is so specific by locale. You have to make decisions locally, but we have an overarching global, um, we call it our business continuity planning group that ultimately will make a decision on whether we open an office or not. But you have to take into account what's happening there locally. And so it's that interplay back and forth that you try and hit the right balance. You know, we learn from what happened in China in our offices. And so we tried to take those lessons and translate them when it hit Europe and then on to the U S and now back again, they're back at work, but not fully back in the office, you know? Um, and, uh, then you had places like Singapore where they had a second wave and people came in and went home. And so it's just helped us really learn and understand the flexibility we have to have. By the same token, we want to empower our local leadership. We call them managing directors in each locale, but also sometimes they're a little enthusiastic maybe to go back to work. And so we want to put the overall lens uh, from uh, the senior leadership on it saying, well, let's maybe not be the first mover on that. We want to wait and make sure we're putting our employees safety and health first because they feel a big pressure to make sure they're delivering for the business. And so we tailor solutions all over the world. You know, in some locales we have people come back and we have social distance ambassadors. They walk around and make sure people are staying, you know, apart from each other. You know, we've done things in manufacturing environments where we actually got in a hotel and had people volunteer that they would continue working and they would stay there away from their families so they don't put themselves or their families at risk. So we've had every solution around the globe to make sure that it makes sense to that locale at that time in terms of where they are on the trajectory of the pandemic. Yeah, and, and, and do you see uh, work fundamentally changing that you see that many people may not return yes. to a physical office after this is over? Yes, I think, and you've heard CEOs already stating that fact about their companies. There's some that have said, we're going totally mobile now that we've seen it. Um, so look, I think, you know, the real estate business is always <laughs> tough. And so most companies don't like being in it because it doesn't give you much flexibility. But I think we've seen a number of areas and we're trying to capture these lessons learned as we go. I do think there are some roles that lend themselves towards mobility, but also it's not going to be um, super safe to be all together in an office again in the same way we have been for you know, at least a year and a half, two years, it could be, we don't know how long it will take to get a vaccine. So I think we have to embrace mobility in a way that makes sense, um, that supporting people. We've learned, for example, um, communication we will probably never be the same. Z doing a zoomal, and for example, we used to have, um, we would go and visit uh, offices around the world with our CEO and leadership team. I almost, they were kind of what I call barnstorming tours and we go to India and spend, you know, a day and then on to Singapore. And so, you know, you go around the world to have all employee meetings. And when we were there, we'd have a live meeting, but maybe, I don't know, 25% of the 
office could fit in the auditorium. So you didn't even actually get to see everybody. So sometimes people felt a little unrequited, right, in, in terms of the interaction with the leadership team. So we've been doing a series of meetings on Zoom called Connect with Enrique, who's our CEO, where the whole office gets to come. The whole leadership team is there. We spend an hour just answering questions from anybody who wants to ask a question. And we get, you know, the, the impact that we have, I think, is much more personal on a particular level. And um, it's much easier to do. And I think in the last, we will have hit 75% of the employees since the pandemic started with these calls to connect with Enrique. So you'll see those continuing. You know, it, it's better for the environment. It's better wear and tear on, on the leadership team. It's better for our employees to be connected. So I think we'll take a lot of lessons out of this and figure out how do we work um, better and more productive productively we actually have a whole work stream we're focusing on really how do we increase people's productivity and how can managers understand people are productive i think many challenges on mobility are that managers feel good when they see someone in the office they think oh that guy's working because he's here or that woman's really working hard which we know isn't really true because people, you, you have your gadflies in the office who come in and spend the whole day talking to everybody and don't get anything done. And so we're really actually training managers. How do you set goals and make sure people are achieving those in whatever way they need to versus FaceTime? And so really, you know, understanding what productivity looks like in a new environment is, I think, going to be critical to the success of organizations as we move to a much more mobile world. Yeah, you said something very interesting that, you know, how a Zoom call can enable personalization, right? We yeah. would have thought that. I know. know. <laughs> I know. It sounds funny to say that. I can tell you, I actually um, played charades with my team on Zoom. We, we, you know, I try and build something fun. And, and I'll tell you, it was like kind of an interesting experiment because everybody, I, I had sent out clues almost every clue was gotten in 15 seconds, 30 seconds. You know, it was much faster because I think people were connecting in a way that, and it was really interesting to see um, what, what a difference it can make when you're on a Zoom call. Yes. So, so uh, Tracy, any, any, any parting words? This has been a wonderful conversation. I want to uh, see if you have anything else you want to share with the audience. No, I, the only thing I think, you know, people are worried sometimes with the future of work, it's all going to be about technology. I think the thing that I see is while technology will be critically important and we have to look at it in, in every aspect to make sure we're using it effectively for companies, I actually think talent is also becoming more important. It's, it's going to be an interesting sort of bifurcated world where, you know, the, the talent and managing talent and putting talent in um, – the right experiences so they can develop uh, and lead your company is going to be just as critical as automating, you know, many of the tasks that we do. So you're going to have to be able to kind of hold both thoughts and think about them at the same time um, to really be successful in the new environment. Uh, absolutely. Talent has to be at the center of it. Yes. Well, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much. It was a real treat speaking with thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was great to speak with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast and also tell your colleagues and friends about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode with yet another pioneer shaping the future of work.